fascinating people, insightful stories, an hour of enlightenment. This is Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. There's no doubt that climate change is, well, changing the climate. And we can see that in our own backyard here in the Coachella Valley with both winter and summer temperatures a lot less predictable the past few years to mention you know, just what we've been going through, 120 degree temperatures, we all remember that. Not to mention the effects of the drought that was declared in 2012 here in California. We're still feeling the huge effects of that. You know, there was a huge increase in wildfires across the Golden State just this year, in part due to the enormous number of dead trees and other vegetations all across the state. But what can we do right now in the landscapes of our own backyards and communities? What can we do? Our guest today on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio is here to help us answer that question. Thank you so much for being here today, Jenny Stebold. Hi, thanks for having me. The book is Climate Wise Landscaping, Practical Actions for a Sustainable Future. There is a website where you can check out the book, climatewiselandscaping.com, or just go to Facebook and type that in and you'll find their Facebook page. Well, Ginny writes about Florida gardening and manages a sustainable gardening for Florida Facebook page where she advocates for sustainable and organic gardening and green landscaping. She co-wrote this book with Sue Reed, who's a registered landscape architect with more than 30 years of experience designing sustainable landscapes. And uh, Sue also was the author of Energy Wise Landscape Design. So we've got the right folks on the line here to talk about this kind of uh, approach to landscape. Landscaping. So talk about how you both took different approaches to the book and wrote specific things and uh, and brought your own uh, experience in there. So talk a little bit about that, Jenny. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, Sue, as you said, is a landscape architect and I'm a botanist and I've written uh, four other Florida um, gardening books. So I'm coming at it from a more science perspective. And she's coming uh, to it from a more design perspective. But we did not debate climate change. We decided to take a more optimistic approach. And, and that way um, we, we could um, give people lots of ideas of what they could do right now. And we hit it from both sides of the equation there on design and on science. Well, certainly uh, greenhouse gas emissions are one of the big factors there in, uh, you know, reducing our carbon footprint. And uh, we actually been doing pretty well here in California for in terms of our goals that we set out. We uh, have been doing, I think, tremendously. And uh, that affects how you uh, approach your landscaping, right? Yes. And I and I do commend um, your your uh, community there for getting people to get rid of their lawns and um that's a wonderful way you're far ahead of a lot of the rest of the country (laughs) Uh, because actually we put lawns first in the book and that and because it's having unsustainable lawns is the biggest thing that that influences climate and also it's the easiest thing to change well and you say that it's a, a high carbon maintenance what do you mean by that well, you, you're using machinery to take care of it. And when you're using machinery, even if it's 
electric, which is the best kind of machinery to use if you're going to use it, uh, battery-powered or uh, electric-powered machinery. But if you're using gas power to do it, then every time you use machinery, you're using energy, and every time you use energy, you're you're creating greenhouse gases. Um, also, the fertilizer and the poisons and that people typically put in lawns all have climate footprints. They all have high high carbon footprints. So if you know what we said in the book is if you have more than twenty inches of rain, which you guys do not. Oh no. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you have more than twenty inches of rain, then you could go with a uh, liberated lawn and just let whatever grow grow and let it go dormant during whatever seasons and then just mow it and not put on all the extra um, chemicals. And talk about some of the alternatives to those those toxic chemicals. Don't put anything on them. Let the weeds <laughs> grow in. Um, don't you know? Some people call it a freedom lawn, so it's free from herbicides, free from insecticides, and then you just mow it grows. And so there you have a safe, 100% of the time safe landscape that the pets and the kids can play in, and you don't have to worry about staying off of it while it's poisoned. Well, I saw in one of your little uh, call-out boxes here in the in the book, in climate-wise landscaping, you mentioned corn gluten being a natural pre-emergent weed killer and fertilizer. That's not something I've heard of before. Yeah, that's an old um, an old organic um, herbicide, and it's really only for to prevent seeds from germinating. It doesn't mm. do anything for the weeds that have already grown. So it just inhibits the seed germination. So, and then it turns into um, fertilizer in the in the yard because it's an organic substance. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, the corn gluten is is one thing you can use. But my personal feeling is, and and I'm in Florida, so we've got annual 50 inches of rain. Um, <laughs> um, I just have a lawn that we just mow it, and we don't mow it very often. Well, certainly we uh, have many programs here in the Coachella Valley to encourage our residents to uh, swap out their lawns and get some rebates back. And, uh, you know, folks still like to have at least a little patch of grass sometimes, at least where they can walk their dog, because it's so hot out here, you know, you want to protect their little paws. And so you're not telling people that they should get rid of every square inch of their lawn, are you? No, absolutely not. You know, and I, I did see that a lot of people in your area are putting in uh, artificial turf. Uh, as far as the climate goes, artificial turf has a pretty high footprint. Uh, yeah, you're not watering it to keep it green, but it's made out of plastic. <laughs> so it's a carbon-heavy footprint uh, piece of piece of green that you have there. Uh, and the thing about grass is that it actually does cool the air um, where something like artificial turf would not have any cooling effect. Yeah, that seems like the opposite of <laughs> of what you yeah. want to try to achieve. Right. I, yes, I do think so. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that people in the desert will begin to appreciate what the desert can offer. And grouping plants together allows plants to work with each other. It's been proven that plants do communicate with their roots and with with the fungus 
um, called mycorrhizae in the soil, and that trees can help each other and support each other in through the soil using the funguses in the soil, which is why the we, the typical lawn care where they kill the fungus is so destructive because we need that fungus. The plants need the fungus to to uh, live a healthy life. That seems like the, uh, the the snake eating its tail there, where you have to keep dumping more chemicals and more fertilizers and more chemicals and more fertilizer, fertilizers because you've yeah. not only killed the fungus, but you're killing the natural uh, bugs and things that are helpful to the environment. And then the, the birds don't want to be there. And, and, you, and, and then you have a dead lawn. Right. And so then they come in and fertilize it with artificial fertilizer, synthetic fertilizer. And, and so really what it is, the soil which is so important, ends up just being a dead uh, medium to, to grow the plants artificially. It's like hydroponics or something because there's really no soil activity when you've done that to the soil. And, and the, part of the book, um, we had a whole section on soil. And soil sequesters four times more carbon than all the terrestrial plants. And yep. so, you yep. know, what we said is you, we've got to stop treating soil like dirt. <laughs> and when you say sequester, you mean that, that it holds it? Yes. So yes. What, so when we're uh, thinking about planting uh, groups of plants, because I know that a lot of times when you're in, uh, you know, a home improvement store, or you're at a place where they're telling you, you need to plant these further apart. What you're saying is sometimes it's more beneficial to actually plant the plants and the trees a little bit closer together because there's a cooperation there that happens. Well, if you have a, a if you have large trees that you're planting, then you do want to give them room. But in between, you can have a butterfly garden and you can have shrubs and you can have a whole environment around those larger plants. So, yes, you should leave enough inf- enough space so they can grow. But then you in between you create an understory uh, so that you use smaller trees and shrubs and ground covers that all work together Um, and again their their roots will intermingle and then they can work with each other to keep it cool in that area well jenny talk about the importance of of trees because it seems like one of those things that's an obvious oh, uh, they create shade, and then that reduces the overall temperature in your area, but at the same time, they require more water, and we're here in the desert, and so it's that give and take in the balance. So talk a bit about the appropriateness of of trees and the kinds of trees that you would want to place in your area around your home so that you're you're doing a climate-wise landscape. The thing about trees is that globally, the trees are what actually controls the global weather because a a full-grown oak tree, maybe not in the desert, but here in Florida, it will give off water during the water in the tree. It evaporates from its leaves. And when it turns from a liquid to a gas, that cools the air. So a tree not only casts shade, it also actually cools the air. Like when you sweat, the sweat makes you cooler because the, the water is evaporating from your skin. So there's two things that the trees are doing. Now, a regular oak tree will transpire 
400 gallons of water in one day on a summer day. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. It's huge. Now, in the desert, it's going to be different because your water in your soil is much less. So many of your native plants, and I would certainly recommend native plants over anything else, um, your native plants are more conservative of the water than the trees here in Florida, for instance. So they would probably not put that much water out because they've got waxy leaves and they have small leaves and they've, you know, a lot of desert plants don't have leaves at all because they need to conserve the water. Um, but globally, the trees put that water vapor in the air and that ends up going up into the atmosphere and together the trees are com- creating clouds that then rain on us. Well, you write in uh, Climate Wise Landscaping that trees can absorb up to 50 pounds of carbon dioxide per year. And I think I've always thought about that as I've driven around the our area here and people have decided to go the sort of the extreme, uh, you know, desert landscaping and really taking the tree part out of that and thinking, well, you're actually not necessarily doing anything other than creating a heat island effect around your home when you do that, that that trees really can be a part of that, uh, you know, redesign of your area and still be climate wise. That's right. And so what what the what happens with the with the trees and and the other plants is that they take in carbon dioxide and water, and they make it into sugar. So the the tree actually doesn't store carbon dioxide; it absorbs carbon dioxide during photosynthesis, and it makes sugar. So the sugar is a carbohydrate, and then it takes that simple sugar and it makes it into more complex chemicals that it needs to survive. Um, So the tree will sequester carbon, but not carbon dioxide. Well, certainly one of the things that uh, you do in a climate-wise landscape is to capture as much of the water as possible and to reuse it. And we do that here in the desert with the way we've uh, designed our streets to uh, when it rains very infrequently, but it does sometimes. Like we had a thunderstorm the other day and all the water runs down and uh, goes to these recharging stations to uh, go down to the aquifer that's right down below us. But we can do that even in our small ways uh, around our landscapes as well. Can't we, Ginny? Oh, sure. Um, We recommend uh, rain barrels. Um, In some places, you're not allowed to collect water um, because the water is spoken for before it hits the ground. I think (laughs) Denver Denver has has had a law so that you cannot collect rain water because it's already spoken for. Um, They own uh, the rain. They, yeah, they own the rain before it hits your house. And so I think they changed it so you can now have two rain barrels or something. But if you don't have those restrictions, then you can capture whatever rain hits your roof or the roof of anything or anything that's paved. You can have it on a tilt and then you, have a, you could have a French drain that would collect it. So then the rain would head down and down into a swale where you'd have a a rain garden, although it would be a minimal amount of rain where you are. It would still be more moist 
than the other parts of your landscape. And certainly, as I said here, you know, we, we try lots of different ways to, uh, uh, you know, maximize the amount of water that we do get from the, the sky, which is not all that much. And, uh, and gray water is one of those things that comes and goes in, in conversation. And uh, mm-hmm. what's your feeling on, on using that? Because that's, uh, that's water that's from your home that isn't necessarily water that's coming from the toilet, but it, it could be used in a landscaping environment. Right, Ginny? Oh, sure. Well, the gray water does not include water from the sewage. Right. Sewage. Everything so else. Your toilet water is black water. So everything else, the shower, the uh, sink uh, water can be collected, and it can run through um, what would be uh, a filter-type garden. So it could go directly out into your yard. It would go through a uh, gravel area that would end up coming out at the other end and and the soap scum and stuff would have been absorbed. Um, and then on the other end, you can have, direct it to an orchard-like thing so that that water could go to fruit trees or other areas where you can use the water for landscaping. That's actually a really great idea for here because we have many, many, many uh, fruit trees, oranges and lemons and limes and also grapefruits here that people still have kept around. And it's been a challenge uh, since the drought was declared in 2012 to keep them, you know, really thriving in this environment because they do require quite a bit of water. Right. Yeah. So group your orchard trees together, your fruiting trees together, again, in a grouping, enough room so that they have the sun that they need, but then you can direct your gray water in their direction, and you would plant them around a swale, so the gray water would go into the swale, and then their roots would go down there, knowing that there's going to be more moisture, especially on laundry day. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. And one of the things that we, I think, have as a challenge again here is that we have a unique environment in the Coachella Valley, you know, and across the desert southwest, but even more so here. And yet we have these national uh, chain stores that come and they sell all of their um, products and their uh, plants that are not necessarily um, appropriate for our area here. So talk about some of the reasons why you really want to go that extra mile to find the plants that fit your environment. Yes. Um, again, we would recommend native plants for your general landscaping. Now, edible landscaping is a different thing. Um, and you would go with appropriate edible plants, and many of those are not going to be native, like the citrus is from Asia. Uh, so, but still, you can grow it there if you can supply it with enough water. But for your general landscaping, we would recommend native plants. And there is a very active California Native Plant Society that people can uh, become active in, and they would help you find uh, sources for those native plants. I have a real problem with some of the garden stores. And, you know, even here in Florida, they're selling plants that are known invasives and 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 they're selling vegetables in the wrong season we can't grow tomatoes here in the summer because it's too hot and wet so but people are still selling tomatoes and then the people take them home and they plant them and they're guaranteed to fail well that's just cuckoo (laughs) 
Well, Jenny Stebolt is our guest here on Conversations with Charlie Dyer on iHub Radio. The book is Climate Wise Landscaping, Practical Actions for a Sustainable Future. The website is climatewiselandscaping.com or search for the book on Facebook and you can check that out all online. Thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you very much, Charlie. I, I enjoyed it. 